There are more ways than ever to listen to History Daily ad-free. Listen with Wondery Plus in the Wondery app, or you can get all of History Daily plus other fantastic history podcasts at intohistory.com. It's a winter day in New York City in 1930. Inside her apartment, professional photographer Margaret Burke White awakes to her alarm clock. Immediately, she gets out of bed and does her morning routine, plotting out the day's photo shoot as she brushes her teeth. Working for Fortune magazine, one of the country's most popular business publications, she's often commissioned for challenging assignments, and today is no different. Dressed and ready to go with her photography equipment in hand, Margaret leaves her apartment and heads out onto the street. After walking for a few blocks, she reaches the lobby of the unfinished Chrysler Building, the subject of her latest assignment. When complete, this building will tower over a thousand feet high, surpassing the Bank of Manhattan as the tallest building in New York City. Margaret nods at the construction workers in greeting before taking the elevator up to the 61st floor. The doors open, and she walks down the hall to an opening in the wall. With a blustery winter breeze blowing, she carefully begins to climb out onto one of the tower's stainless steel gargoyles jutting out from the building 800 feet above Lexington Avenue. As she moves across the sleek neck of a sculpted eagle, Margaret takes great care not to drop any of her equipment, or worse, lose her balance and fall the 61 stories down to the sidewalk below. She opens the shutter of her camera and begins to snap photos of the gargoyle with an impressive view of the city as a backdrop. Throughout it all, Margaret stays calm, focused only on the quality of her shots, barely acknowledging the dizzying altitude. Because for Margaret, this daring feat is nothing more than another day at the office. As a photographer for Fortune magazine, Margaret will be so dedicated to her work that she'll even apply for a job as the Chrysler Building's janitor, allowing her unfettered access to her newest subject. Her skills as a photographer and her extreme dedication to her craft will continue to impress Margaret's boss at Fortune, publisher Harry Luce. And as Harry prepares to completely reimagine one of his publications, Margaret will become the obvious choice to shoot its first cover image, making her Life magazine's first female photographer after the rebranded publication hits newsstands on November 23, 1936. If you travel, you know how to pull off a perfect getaway. You know after you enroll with your Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card, you get up to $10 back monthly on U.S. rideshare purchases with select providers, like a car to the airport. You know which remote retreats have the best herbal baths and where the Wi-Fi password is rarely used because you're the escape artist. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Purchases must be on card. Visit go.mx slash you know. History Daily is sponsored by Audible. They say life is a mystery, but come on, it's not. When in your daily life are things mysterious? You really don't know what's going to happen next? They should say life is pretty much always exactly how you expect it to be. But that is boring. So if your everyday life feels a bit every day, fight the mundanity with mystery. Literal mystery. Like Esquire Magazine's number one best mystery novel of all time, Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. As an Audible member, you can choose one title every month to keep forever from the entire catalog of classics, bestsellers, new releases, and Audible originals, ready for listening whenever, wherever on the Audible app. 
New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Visit audible.com slash history daily or text history daily to 500 500. That's audible.com slash history daily or text history daily to 500 500. From Noiser and Airship, I'm Lindsey Graham, and this is History Daily. History is made every day. On this podcast, every day, we tell the true stories of the people and events that shaped our world. Today is November 23rd, 1936. The first issue of Life magazine is published. It's 1921 in Baltimore, Maryland, 15 years before the launch of a reimagined version of Life magazine. 23-year-old Henry Harry Luce returns to the apartment he rents with his co-worker and college friend, Britton Hatton. The two men have just finished a shift at the Baltimore News, where they are paid $40 a week to work as junior reporters. Yet upon entering their apartment, relaxation is far from their minds. Instead, a sense of purpose energizes them. The day's work is really just beginning, because in the privacy of their apartment, Harry and Britton have been secretly hatching a plan to quit their jobs and launch their own publishing enterprise. Harry first met Britton, his future business partner, when they were classmates at Yale. Both gifted writers, they developed a competitive friendship, often one-upping each other while reporting for the campus's prestigious newspaper, the Yale Daily News. Their personalities also complemented each other. Both were fiercely ambitious, and each fed off the other's drive to succeed. After graduating college, they moved together to Baltimore to launch their careers at the Baltimore News. But now, Harry and Britton are ready to forge their own path in the world of publishing and make what Harry calls the gamble of their lives, launching a weekly periodical they intend to call Facts. The goal of Facts will be to present human interest articles on a variety of subjects, including politics, books, and science. Their target audience would be men of all socioeconomic backgrounds, and they plan to keep each article to 200 words or less, just enough to prepare the reader at least once a week for a dinner table conversation. But many of their friends think they're crazy. Between the two of them, Harry and Britton have less than two years of professional journalism experience and not much money. Not to mention, the nation is at the tail end of a severe recession. If they stayed at the Baltimore News, they would have a safe, stable future with the promise of rapid advancement. But while their new enterprise may be foolhardy, it's also irresistible. So every day, Harry and Britton pour hours of their downtime into their project. They clip articles from the day's edition of the New York Times and rewrite and reorganize them into their own format. They type out sample stories and lean on the writing talent of their fellow Baltimore News staffer and roommate, Walter Millis, to produce countless articles in various styles and tones. They experiment with business plans, making tweaks as they go, but sticking with the general idea of a weekly periodical targeting men. For Harry, he knows it's a long shot, but also a calculated risk. Periodicals, or magazines as they will come to be known, have been a fixture of American society since 1741, when the first two magazines, including one produced by Benjamin Franklin, began publication. Though neither of these magazines lasted more than six months, they solidified a format that has only grown in popularity. And by the 1830s, a decline in the cost of printing allowed for the production of less expensive magazines, and publishers began to take advantage of the growing postal service to increase distribution. At the same time, the format of magazines shifted away from intellectualism and elitism to a more accessible format for a wider range of audiences. 
Soon after, for the first time, magazines aimed at families, children, and women began to appear, strengthening demand for the format among the American public. Now, the weekly circulation of popular magazines is in the millions. Harry has looked on as publications like the Saturday Evening Post have started featuring cover art by some of the nation's most famous artists and publishing the works of the country's preeminent writers. It's clear to Harry that the market is flourishing and he wants in. And by February 1922, Harry and his partners will be ready to take the great leap into the unknown. Short on resources, Harry will negotiate a seven-week leave from the Baltimore News and relocate to New York to launch his new publication. But getting started won't be easy. First, he'll have to raise the necessary funds to finance the venture. And if he can't, he'll be forced to return to Baltimore as a failed businessman, a fate he'll do everything in his power to avoid. History Daily is sponsored by Mint Mobile. No matter what the social media rise and grind blathering says, no growth hacking is going to 10x your income. When it comes to earning more, the best advice might be some of the oldest. Like one of Benjamin Franklin's favorites, a penny saved is a penny earned. And to save thousands and thousands of pennies, no hacks needed, just switch to Mint Mobile, who has wireless plans starting at $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. That was perfect for getting a new line for my daughter. Resurrecting an old phone for her was so easy. And Mint Mobile is just 15 bucks a month. Easy, inexpensive, Benjamin Franklin approved. Get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month shipped to your door for free at mintmobile.com slash history daily. That's mintmobile.com slash history daily. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash history daily. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. History Daily is sponsored by Throughline from NPR. You've heard it said that a journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. But what journey are we on? How can we be sure that the first step is the first step? I believe you can't fully understand where we're going without knowing where we've been. And that's what makes history so valuable to us today. And on every episode of NPR's podcast Throughline, you'll hear a story from the news but told from its first steps revisiting well-known historical events from new angles and introducing you to historical figures that have long been ignored. Things that matter to us today, like the history of Hamas, or the fight for gun rights, or civil rights, the shadow docket of the Supreme Court, or the secret history of the rare earth elements that power your phone. Everything that faces us now, today, has a history. The news might be the first draft of history. Throughline tells a different story. Listen now to Throughline from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. It's July 1922 in New York City, 13 years before the first issue of a rebranded Life magazine will be published. Harry Luce arrives at a meeting of the Yale Club, a social group for graduates of Yale University, though today, Harry is all business. A few months ago, Harry and his two partners, both former Yale classmates, left their jobs in Baltimore and relocated to New York City to follow their dreams in the Big Apple. They hope to launch a weekly magazine that will offer bite-sized articles about news, politics, sports, and a variety of other topics. But they need money. So far, they've raised $38,000, a modest sum, but not enough to launch their publication. So today, Harry has turned to his network of Yale connections. He enters the meeting with his fellow alumni, hoping to secure at least $5,000 investment to continue building his business. But things go much better than he expected. 
After making his pitch at the meeting, Harry receives a pledge of $20,000 from the mother of a recent Yale graduate, whose son also offers an additional five. Other members of the family agreed to contribute another $20,000, bringing the total amount raised to $100,000, well enough for Harry to move forward with his plans to launch the magazine. Using the money they've raised, Harry and his business partners decide to upgrade their working space and rent a large office at 8th Avenue and 33rd Street in the heart of the city. Then they begin to hire staff, mostly graduates of Ivy League colleges, and set about creating the first issue of their new magazine. But as they're making progress, they discover they have a problem, choosing the right name for the publication. Its working title is Facts, but this has always felt like just a placeholder. The founders want something catchier and more compelling for what they are determined will be the world's greatest magazine. One evening, while still in the process of finalizing a name, the answer finally comes to Harry. While taking the subway home, his eyes land on the advertising cards above the train car windows. One word in the announcement catches his attention. Time. Harry brings the idea to his business partners, and they agree that this one word is the perfect title for their publication. Harry and his team will spend the rest of 1922 and early into 1923 working on the first issue of their new magazine. While Britton Haddon, Harry's former colleague from Yale and one of Time's founders, focuses his attention on the editorial side, Harry works to ensure that Time will function successfully as a business. He builds a plan to support the magazine with advertisements and begins making connections with agencies and brands. He hopes that he can convince enough of them to run ads to help support the cost of publication and turn a profit for the business. Finally, by late February 1923, the first issue is ready for print. It's 28 pages long and features 15 ads, mostly from banks and book publishers, and it proves to be a success. Time goes into regular weekly publication, and by 1929, the magazine is profitable, with widespread distribution across the country and a loyal following of middle-class readership across much of the nation. But while Harry continues to operate the business, his partner Britton grows increasingly ill at the start of 1929. As both his mood and health decline, Britton is hospitalized for a strep infection. And in February, he succumbs to his sickness, passing away almost exactly six years after the publication of Time's first issue. Following Britton's death, Harry buys out most of the stock left to his co-founder's family, taking full control of the company. And even without his old business partner by his side, Harry's ambitions continue to grow. The following year, he launches an innovative new business magazine, which he calls Fortune, and hires an up-and-coming photographer, Margaret Burke White. But even with two publications under his belt now, Harry isn't satisfied. He still wants to expand his burgeoning media empire, and soon he identifies his next project. By 1936, publisher Claire Maxwell is struggling to hold on to his own magazine entitled Life. Founded in 1883, the publication is a humor and general interest magazine, far more lighthearted than time or fortune. Over the 12 years he's been running it, Claire has grown its scene in popularity, reaching 250,000 readers. But with the onset of the Great Depression and changing tastes among readership, the magazine has begun to lose subscribers and money. Between steady competition with new and established magazines and multiple failed attempts to revamp its editorial style, Claire's efforts to reboot the magazine have come up short. So with his Life magazine floundering, Claire Maxwell will find himself out of options. But while he begins to mourn his publication's inevitable death, an unexpected business proposition will promise to breathe new life into the magazine. Sensing an opportunity, Harry Luce will swoop in and make Claire an offer he can't refuse, $92,000 for the rights to life. 
Claire will eagerly accept, and Harry will get to work adding yet another iconic magazine to his publishing empire. But to make life successful, Harry will have to completely reinvent it. And for that, he'll need a little help from an old colleague. History Daily is sponsored by Indeed. Running a business is all about making decisions despite uncertainty. The alternative is to keep looking for more and more information, paralysis by analysis. And nowhere is that more true than in hiring. Finding the right person is critical. There are specific skills, experience, and about a dozen other things your perfect candidate needs. But with so many candidates in so many places, the search might take forever if you let it. So when it comes to hiring, perhaps the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. With over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, their matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. And as a listener of the show, you'll get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash on this day. Just go to Indeed.com slash on this day right now and support the show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash on this day. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's 1936, a few months before the first issue of the revamped Life magazine will be published. Publishing tycoon Harry Luce sits behind his desk in his lavish office in New York City. He's just successfully acquired the rights to Life magazine, and with pen in hand, he begins to draw up plans to exploit the assets of his newly acquired property. Harry has no intention to keep Life going in its current form. His real goal in purchasing the magazine was simply to acquire the name, Far from a humor magazine, he envisions life being a pioneering publication grounded in photojournalism. Harry is confident that photographs will soon become as important as words in telling a story. He wants his articles to feature compelling images, showing readers people and places all over the world, things many of them could never dream of seeing firsthand. Confident in this new direction, Harry commissions Margaret Burke White, an associate editor and staff photographer from Fortune magazine, to capture the Fort Peck Dam in Montana, a federal project commissioned as part of President Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. Margaret eagerly takes on the project, and on November 23, 1936, the first issue of a revamped Life magazine hits newsstands with one of Margaret's photos gracing its cover. The striking image of the enormous chain of dams, along with the magazine's 50 pages of photographs and engaging captions, draws 380,000 readers. Life magazine is an immediate success. And within just a few years, it will be one of the most widely read publications in America, challenging the Saturday Evening Post for status as the country's most popular magazine. And all throughout the mid-20th century, Life will continue to flourish, acquiring over 8 million subscribers at its peak. It will be notable for its coverage of major world events, including World War II, the Kennedy era, and the Vietnam War. 
But by 1978, declining sales will make the magazine move from a weekly to a monthly format. And in 2000, citing financial troubles and a changing publishing landscape, Time Incorporated will publish the final print issue of Life, shutting down the publication over 60 years after it began its second life as the nation's biggest photographic news magazine on November 23, 1936. Next on History Daily, November 24, 1947. U.S. Congress votes to uphold a group of producers, directors, and screenwriters in contempt for refusing to cooperate with the government's probe of alleged communist influence in Hollywood. Thanks for listening to History Daily. But did you know that you can listen ad-free in the Wondery or Amazon Music app? Or for even more history content, including the entire History Daily archive and other fantastic history podcasts, go to intohistory.com. From Noiser and Airship, this is History Daily, hosted, edited, and executive produced by me, Lindsey Graham. Audio editing by Mohammad Shazi. Sound design by Misha Stanton. Music by Lindsey Graham. This episode is written and researched by Scott Weiss. Executive producers are Alexandra Curry Buckner for Airship and Pascal Hughes for Noiser. This episode is brought to you by the effortlessly scrumptious bite of Skinny Pop Popcorn. Imagine this, perfectly popped, endlessly delicious kernels, a symphony of just three simple ingredients, popcorn, sunflower oil, and a sprinkle of salt. No compromise, just pure snacking freedom. And hey, if you're up for a twist, dive into flavors like zesty white cheddar to sweet and salty kettle. Every bite's a delight, light and oh so tasty. Shop Skinny Pop now.